we got a we got another nice little email that I I know you're gonna want to hear because it's from our good buddy Jorge. Really, we haven't seen Jorge in a while. Uh, I know he's in a different he time to, zone now. But remember, he had to move. He moved yeah. back to Spain. Yeah, I know. But and uh, the, the time frame for him is bad. Is really bad. Okay, because he has a real job now. He says, "Let's get in contact with Jorge. Let's find out what a, what's this, a good that's day." What this is. I'm, I'm telling you, he just contacted. No, but- us. We're in. <laughs> All we got to do is hit reply, and we're in contact with them. Okay, perfect. <laughs> That's what contact is, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Good one. Your my sarcasm is either rubbing off on you, or your your sarcasm is is starting to shine, which isn't bad. Well, it could be bad. I tapped into. I told you, like today's today's show, I had to tap into my deep inner Brando. <laughs> I was gonna say the uh, two old sarcastic bastards. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good recipe. It might be, you know, it might be too rich in goodness. I purposely only got two hours of sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> I got up late in the hot tub this morning. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, I get. I usually get a good night's rest. I asked my wife last night to pour out all the coffee after she was done with it this morning. Yes. So I'd go down. I'd only get like a trip trickle trickle into the cup. You got to get the motivation behind the attitude. And that all comes from those little things. It's a lot of little things. Cocksuckers drank all my coffee. <laughs> you need the dog to throw up in the living room, the cat to throw up in the basement, and <laughs> a couple things now, like that. <laughs> now I'm ready for some conversation. <laughs> Bring it on. Y'all going to feel my wrath. But the old uh, Jorge said that, uh, um, he says, a very emotional two-liner to say that he really misses the Zoom meetings. Oh, very nice. Well, uh, he is missed too. I, actually, we're, we're missing. We missed Don on Monday, and of course Jorge, and old Jerry, and Tom, and Mayor. They weren't there either. So the the old gang. It's tough when they're not all there. I know. I mean, you can't make everyone. I'm the first one to say that. It's it's hard to make uh, all the Zoom meetings. We've been missing a few of the regulars that really make it a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he says that he will find a way to get back, but sends his warmest regards. To both of us and the Zoom's Misfits Zoom. crew. The Zoom crew. <laughs> misfits. Misfits? I would say everyone else are misfits. The Zoom crew's the standard. I don't know. I don't know. After uh, after two hours, the, the, that crew does get a little misfitty. Well, yeah. Well, the real crew comes. The real personalities come out. The, the beginning of the Zoom meetings are a little, they're, they're fine, but they're, they're a little slow. You can, t- you can feel that you're searching for the topics right, to right. come, whereas after about 10 o'clock, they just, it flows. Do you prefer a full seven foot hose or a seven foot one inch? I have a six foot if seven. I don't, <laughs> see, like I think if we went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and that's the thing right there. I mean, he. You kinda hit How many it. coils are in your spring straps on your fence? <laughs> I like a full 69 coils. I don't know about you. I was reading on the internet that you should always have a round number of coils in your spring straps. <laughs> it's true. If you're DIR, uh, it's got to be an even round number. But um, yeah, I was going to say there's only so much. I mean, even even us with the podcast, and this is what we do, just talk about diving. You're going to have to keep going over the same thing again eventually. There's a finite amount of, finite amount of real subjects that are worth talking about. 
I mean, yeah, you could make up stupid shit and go into the minutia. You could become engineers. We could all be – there could be 14 engineers there in our little Brady Bunch matrix. And I prefer the Zoom the Zoom Misfits crew <laughs> conversations when, when somebody like Kevin rolls in with a Jesus joke that yeah. just <laughs> sets it off. That's what makes it priceless. Bye, Lee. James says bye. She just walked away giving you the finger. You wouldn't. I couldn't believe she just did that. Oh, unbelievable! <laughs> what, baby? I made another pot of coffee. Oh, she made another pot of oh, coffee. Oh, unbelievable! Unbelievable, he said. Unbelievable. This is uh, what is. Uh, <laughs> tell her, tell her it's Cinco de Mayo, not April Fool's Day. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. Oh, wait. No, I can't say that yet. How about I say it? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. Jorge said that, by the way, he wanted to let us know that the last few podcasts went straight forward to his particular Hall of Fame list. Nice. Pure gold, mate, he says. Oro. Del Oro. The podcast Del Oro. Maybe we uh, change our name. Love it. The pod, the great, uh, how would you say great? I'm trying to remember how you say great in Spanish. Mucho, the mucho no, that's podcasto. Much. There's much, mucho there's podcasto. Mucho <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We could say the, the mas bueno podcast. So listen, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. I hope you got your dingoes in order last week, mate. Today we should be in Spanish. This one's dedicated to Jorge. Donde es el baño? Donde es el baño. Very good. So I know you've probably had at least a little Spanish, right? Maybe? No? Um, You got that on uh, Sesame Street. (laughs) Welcome to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with Dingo Brando. No, we're Spanish this week. Oh. Spanish. You're here with Baño Brando. No, I'm Bernardo in Espanol. Bernardo. 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 And I'm uh, James. El Gringo Spectacular. Ah, the spectacular gringo. I love it. Brando Magnifico. My Spanish is uh, very rusty. Very rusty. I always thought I was very good at it in high school. I had four years of uh, of Espanol and I straight A's. And my teacher was a great, great guy. Senior Mestas. 
I uh, I did I did French instead of Spanish in high school. It's because where the that's where the good looking girls were. I was like, <laughs> that's where all the good looking girls are going to be with the French guys anyway. I don't know the Spanish the Spanish um, culture has some beautiful. See, in, in my high school, like all the the smart guys who you know were thinking about their future and education and where it was going to take them school wise and job wise, all went Spanish because it was the most practical for use and. You know, life and business and being in America and in and, and those times. And I was like, the hot chicks are over here. <laughs> See you guys later. I'm going to French class. I wanted, I wanted French. I was much more, uh, much more attracted to the French language, just the way it sounds. And not that, not that Spanish is bad at all. I, re- I love Spanish too, but. The French language is it's just, uh, it's beautiful. Oh, I agree. Sorry, this is supposed to be about Spanish, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of... Uh, Spanish, French language is beautiful. <laughs> so we had a, um, we've had a couple of weeks of talking about how students learn. Like usual, we've gotten some really good feedback, like Jorge's email and, and some other comments and stuff, and... We had brought up a couple of times along the way, you know, how important that early learning is and the need for repetition, the need for that constant exercise of a new skill, not just the dip, dunk, do it once. Oh, you cleared your mask. Here's your card. Yeah, you've you've demonstrated mastery, which actually haven't. And I was listening to a... uh, podcast just yesterday as a matter of fact and the uh, podcasters were speaking about mastery and their definition of mastery and I thought it was pretty good because they said mastery is your constant striving for perfection in something knowing that you will never actually reach perfection you might get close you know it's like um like in calculus uh, calculating, getting, getting extremely close to that, you know, on a graph, that line, but never actually touching that value. And that's, that's kind of what the, they were saying was mastery is the striving for, for perfection, knowing full well you will never achieve perfection. Your improvements will, will be tinier and tinier but you'll never get there to perfection. You, you, so which flies in the face of the Open Water Instructor Manual, which says they have to demonstrate mastery <laughs> with, say, for example, mass clearing. And so they do it maybe maybe three half dozen times in the class, yeah. in most classes, right? And that's called mastery there. And they never do it again, and that's the thing. Same with the gas sharing. They never do it. Yeah, again. that's kind of a right. That's kind of a uh, bastardization of the word mastery. It is. It is really because that's not really mastery. No, I, I've got a book called Mastery by George Leonard that uh, my good buddy old Jeff Seckendorf, CEO of UTD, sent to me. Oh, very nice for a conversation that we were having about this very topic. There's a really cool passage in here that I know you'll love because uh, I, I marked it off, and it's one of your. It's one of it's from one of your favorite philosophers and educators out there, your buddy uh, Ol Suzuki. Oh, DT Suzuki. It's about like a the beginner's mind, 
and teaching beginners. And he's got from, you know, what he calls, he says, in our scriptures, it is said that there are four kinds of horses. He says, excellent ones, good ones, poor ones, and bad ones. The best horse, he says, will run slow and fast, right and left, at the driver's will, before it sees the shadow of the whip. The second best will run as well as the first one, just before the whip reaches its skin. The third one will run when it feels the pain on its body. And the fourth one will run after the pain penetrates to the marrow of its bones. You can imagine how difficult it is for the fourth one to learn. Yeah, it's painful. (laughs) Yeah, but he says, uh, and then, you know, Leonard says, when you hear the story, everybody wants to be the best horse. Well, yeah. And if it's impossible to be the best, we want to be the second best. But this is a mistake, according to Master Suzuki. He says, when you learn too easily, you're tempted not to work hard, not to penetrate to the marrow of a practice. I could have told you this. This is, as a kid, everything came naturally as far as schoolwork. I learned to read at a very young age, so reading was real easy for me. I was reading at a college level when I was like 10 years old. So I read a lot of books. Everything came easily in classes. As my wife will tell you, I, I was very geeky, very much into reading and schoolwork. And back in those days, I don't think it was that cool. The cool kids weren't the ones getting A's like it is now. Then when I get to college, I'm thinking I can just zippity doo dah through college. <laughs> and no, no, I had to I had to start actually putting the work in and from not really having to put that much work in to, to pass well, you know, it it's a hard adjustment. And if you go around never having to really struggle or try to learn, you don't dig it when you have to. Right, yeah, yeah. And you haven't built in that practice yeah. of putting in the necessary work so that when you when you really need it all to come out, it's there. Because that's what mastery is, is is the long burn. It's the work, yeah. And and feeling and, and feeling the pain of the work so that you internalize it all. Yeah, and that's what I was I was getting at with my kids is I would tell them you know, these stories like, hey, I know you're doing well in school now. You can't just take it for granted that things are going to come easy. You need to keep putting the time in. And they're very, they're very good. So must have been getting through to them somehow. But uh, it's a double-edged sword when things come easily to you, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's because the other thing is you're going to get bored with it. You get bored with things a lot quicker. Yes, because you think in your mind you've achieved that mastery. It was only when I got older and I saw, you know, you plateau up at a certain point, right, when you're doing anything, even with diving. You know what I mean? Oh, you, yeah, yeah. You plateau and then you you think, okay, this is it. You don't really see the subtle and minute changes as you continue to practice, if you continue to practice. Correct. I mean, and that's what a lot of people do is they get pretty good buoyancy control while they're swimming they can do a decent back kick, and I've got it all now. What else is there to learn? Well, back in the day, there was more emphasis on harassment of the student underwater by the instructor, mm-hmm. uh, by the instructional staff. 
Well, I think that was a holdover from military, wasn't it? it yeah, it really was. And I think for the most part, it was it was gone out of recreational scuba by the mid to late 80s, 80s. Mm-hmm. I think for the most part. And I think it, at the time, it was probably good because it, it kind of got out of hand in some ways with some instructors. And I think it was a lot of instructors really didn't know how to properly engage in the harassment. It was just more of an ego trip on their part than it was for the betterment of the student. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I don't believe the mas- the mastery. I don't believe the harassment was meant to just, you know, to piss off <laughs> the prospective student or to, you know, see how far you could push them before they snapped. I don't think that was the, the point of the harassment especially in military training. It's more of a, a confidence builder and a comfort builder with the equipment and, and being underwater, knowing like you can take a lot more than what you think. A lot more can happen to you underwater and you'll be fine. You know, teaching you how to uh, stay calm under stressful conditions underwater when shit goes to, when things go to shit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Versus, like you say, the I think the instructors coming in were just... Oh, this is going to be fun. I get to uh, fuck with these people. Yeah, and I remember some instructors that they they got off on that of like just proving that they were the instructor and you're the new guy and I'll show you how much I can beat you up underwater. That I think what what I know today in 2020 about engaging in you know harassment style learning is way different from what I had heard about happening in the eighties and yeah, you know, before that, how prior to that, yeah, yeah in the seventies. Yeah. Well, James, I would say as well that it's got to be useful. If it if it's just there to beat up on someone, that's not useful. Correct. It, All that it, does is it, it inflates the instructor's ego. It doesn't improve the student at all. I agree. Right. So it has to be done. I, for a lack of a better word, correctly, you know, you have to do it with intent, uh, and your intent is to build a, a stronger diver. I would think, you know, I, yeah. So you so you engage in these activities that are practical to the level of diving that they're training in, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not taking an open water diver and prepping them for. You know, getting eaten by a shark in a thousand feet of water. You know, while they're being there's 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 got to be a there's got to be a balance to it that makes it real and practical for what they're doing, so that they can exit that training with the confidence of being able to handle something that's within their realm. Right, and I think harassment's a you know that was harassment. What I would say. Uh, you know, taking someone's mask, for example, which they classified. I know it's classified under harassment for whatever reason. This is one one of the things that, you know, I've pointed it out before. Your mask doesn't get asked to, to be kicked off your face. It just happens. And that's you can't simulate that by asking someone for their mask. Right. And that doesn't mean like when you first start your open water class – you show them how to uh, clear their mask, and then you just start ripping their mask off every couple of minutes. That's, that would be absurd. That is, exactly. But, but at some point in their training, you should show them that if you lose a mask, you can easily get yourself and your buddies home in a safe manner, even without having this tool 
in a, in a, in an environment that you are about to be certified to go to. Right, but if you're never startled by the fact that your mask gets kicked off, you know, in training, you're going to be learning that on the fly out there. And a lot of times it's probably not under the best conditions, as we've no, said before, no. right? And those are the those are the divers that it happens once and they go, "Well, tennis sounds pretty good." Man, if I drop my tennis racket, I'm not going to feel like I just felt. Right? That's that that's that law of intensity which we're going to get to soon is you know when you have an intense situation occur and you have a a bad emotional response to it (laughs) you are going to have a hard time redoing that again you know versus if you can do it in a way that it has a good response come out of it it builds confidence and it builds a strong person in that activity that's what you're trying to do that's what you're trying to set up as an instructor Right. I was going to say, uh, well, one response to the situation builds a wall. The other response builds an enjoyment factor out of it. Yes. A reward, you know. So the wall building is when you have a very bad experience with it. And now you've got this hurdle to get over. You are either going to ignore it, say this will never happen again. I will never have my mask kicked off ever again (laughs) because I didn't like it. It was cold and I, I'm not used to not breathing without a mask. and That's why I went to a full face mask. Exactly, exactly. That's why I, I strap on a helmet now, you know. Uh, kick this one off, bitch. You're wearing a Kirby Morgan on a 30-foot <laughs> reef. What's going on? So, and, and this goes to the bigger question. Would you rather have that experience where your mask gets kicked off under the control and direction and supervision of a trained instructor that can give you that experience, allow you to, to start to feel like this is, this is reality. This is no longer simulation. This is more reality. But you do have a, a net to catch you, which is your instructor, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because at some point in your confined water training, even the newest beginner is going to get bored of the swimming pool and know that they're completely safe and nothing could ever go wrong because they're just in a swimming pool. But when you start to engage in some of the more intense effect drawing training, I mean, the the hardiest of diver, the hardiest of person can freak the hell out in four feet of water. Seen it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that brings a, a whole new level of attention and understanding as to what it is that you're actually doing. And right. do you have do you have the, the calmness because you've taken the time to really start to get into that mastery of a skill mm-hmm. that you can do all the other stuff that goes along with it? It's, so it's not, you know, just... Mask clearing is not just get the water out of your mask. Mm-hmm. Mask clearing is all that other stuff with buoyancy control that goes along right. with it, mm-hmm. being able to hold yourself calm mentally, uh, to realize that you still have a ton of gas that you can keep breathing, that you still have a partner in the water that you can signal to help you out. Right? That's, in my opinion, there's a level of all that other stuff that goes along with getting the water out of your mask. Right, and... As an instructor, I mean, I know I remember turning out open water students and your hands are tied by the agencies that you you can't do any, just pull a mask off. I mean, there was the ability to throw an air share out of nowhere at them, 
You, you see where the, the holes in the training system are. Okay, you get over there on your knees on that side of the pool, 10 feet away from the other guy. You're going to be out of gas. You're going to donate. You know you know how they want you to yes. to do that skill. I'm like, everybody this- ready for the out of air? Green light, green light, green light, <laughs> yellow light. This is so far away from how it would actually happen, how anything in this realm would actually happen. And you're doing it on your knee. You know, the whole we go into it all the time. If your first response is to to get to the bottom and kneel down to handle an out of gas or mass clearing, you're going to have issues. You're going to create more problems. Yeah, if if that's your reaction, you are not prepared for being in the open water. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. And and on the same on the on the flip side of that coin is you first have to teach the skill right and, and that's i think what so many people just go to the assumption of they hear you talk like that and they go oh the way this guy teaches air sharing is he just shuts your air off and that couldn't that's, be further from yeah, the truth right yeah. so you've got to you have to build up to that point but at some point you and i both agree you have to get to that point you have to teach them first, right? You have to get them yeah. comfortable with the skill and the, the the parts of the skill. Each each part, right? We're we're building a, a full system out of components when you're doing even the gas share or even a mass clearing or whatever it is you're doing. There are always components to it. So you teach the components and then you start to yeah. put them together. And then you put it in real life. Correct. Yeah, you can't ask somebody to write you an essay when you haven't shown them how to write a sentence yet. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, you also have to you know, temper this whole discussion with the I, – I really don't like the term harassment for this kind of training. I just – I would call it just the realistic – Good training. Yeah, good training. Well, back in, the, back in the, the 70s, they called it harassment training. Yeah. Well, it was because the military called it, and then into and then getting into the eighties, you know, uh, I think a lot of the blossoming agencies that were going to become the big agencies that were looking at, hey, we can teach everybody to scuba dive. Everybody should be a diver, but it ain't going to happen if we're doing this harassment training. Right? We need oh, to yeah. we need to have everything happy and rosy and just let these people get certified so that they can go look at some fishies and it's it's a wonderful, happy place. Yeah, no badness is introduced, no negativity in the class, which is not real. That's not a realistic class. No, not at all. You can't can't say the D word, you know. Dingo. <laughs> Dingo. <laughs> No, you can't say die, death, you know, dismemberment. Yeah, they didn't want you saying that because because it would, you know, instill a little fear in the student. It would actually open that door in their mind like, wow, I could actually die doing this. Uh, Newsflash, you can. <laughs> okay, there's a lot you of people can. who learn that the hard way. But that's the reality of it. Right. I mean, are you going to are you going to go out to Colorado and take some skiing or snowboarding lessons and you think i will they're never, never gonna talk you about don't run into that tree <laughs> sunny bono is you can't say sunny bono anywhere in colorado not in a, not in the ski school so i have a article from 1972 you weren't even born james you can't read I, an article from i wasn't even born yet. <laughs> maybe i should read this article because 
I was an old man by 72. <laughs> I was smoking a pipe on my porch, drinking my, my tea, yelling at the kids to get off my lawn. <laughs> I got my first cardigan in 1972. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna get a cardigan one day, and it's gonna change your life. <laughs> they start off this article that's that's titled "Harassment" by saying that harassment is a phase of scuba training that is commonly conducted after all formal instruction and practice have been completed. Harassment has been reportedly carried out in many ways, some of which are. One, inverting the diver, pulling off his face mask, pulling out his regulator, and then cutting off his hair. Two, sticking pins in the student's arms and legs. What? Three, hang on, hang on, we're not done yet. yet. (laughs) Three, removing regulator from tank while underwater. And four, dropping the student's weight belt and pulling the CO2 cartridge. <laughs> well, I mean, the needle thing I'm trying to figure out, what is what that's simulating? Like you got bent. Don't touch the fire coral. <laughs> Urchins are everywhere, Brando. That's, that's one where the, the training is actually probably more harmful than if it actually happens. Sticking needles, and that's kind of where I was going earlier with yeah. what what you and I know of how to apply this training in 2020 is different than necessarily what they were doing in the 70s and 80s, which was just beating the hell out of you underwater to to see if you could you know fight through it all with them, which is different. Which is different than constructing a scenario that uh, that forces you to to integrate all of the training that you're receiving and bring it into real life. Well, yeah. And I would think, you know, when we're saying this, this harassment and we're telling all the bad stories, I don't think all of the instructors were, were just the, you know, the dicks about harassment, just wanting to beat up on somebody. I think there were, were instructors, just like there are instructors in the service that understand completely what, you know, boot camp is all about what any any extremely f- physical combat training or, you know, even when I went through the Fire and Rescue Academy, there was a lot of shit we did that was just to make make it difficult to build your confidence cause, because reality is going to be a thousand times harder than training. So how can you get yeah. it to still be safe but still challenge you and give you the confidence knowing like, hey, I've already kind of done this. I've already been in confined space with my SCBA in a hundred and you know, a hundred degrees outside, and then they they start heating up the the duct work you're climbing through, pushing your SCBA. Uh just stuff like that. You're going, well, this, you're going, what is the real purpose of this training? It's doing nothing but, you know, people are passing out in there and but it's giving it's under controlled situation and it is reality. It's actually reality toned down a little bit so you do get the chance to experience it under controlled situations so the instructors do look at that kind of training and go we have to get a positive benefit not just beat the shit out of them yeah whereas i maybe they weren't doing that they're like i say i i can't see the benefit of uh freaking sticking needles in you or even pulling your co2 cartridge i i understand that's a reality 
like you accidentally pull your CO2 cartridge. And I do understand it would be good to experience, hey, this is what's going to happen if I pull it. But maybe the CO2 cartridge was a bad thing to have in the first place, you know? (laughs) Yes, there is always that. Yes. Yeah, there has to be a reward for the learning, right? That's what kind of cements it in your head, right, as that diver, that student diver, to show you the success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. That you, can't, that you can't handle it. And you just said that, you know, the reality is going to be, you know, a thousand times harder than the training. And I, I would even say a thousand times harder than the best training. Right. And and being really, 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 really good at all the training that you do. And that's why, you know, you and I still decades later are still practicing, right? All the practice and all the training in the world does not guarantee success in reality. It's going to it's gonna hedge your bet a little bit. Right. It's going to make it a little bit more likely. But, I mean, even the best of the best of the best, you've got the potential. There's always a potential there of getting getting spooked there's a lot of great divers that are dead i mean there's yeah. some great ones that have been diving you look at west skiles in what he died in like 20 feet of water yeah one of the best there's other people like that yeah so so, so you look at that and, and the level of work and time that they put into their game over the long run right and it, it's still a possibility for anyone let alone if you're gonna go let's just you know, cover this up with like bright paint and glitter and happiness and, and, you know, puppy dogs rainbows and, and unicorns and baby. rainbows and unicorns and, and not even address this reality. The D word. The article says the instructor's judgment of the student's reactions also falls into one of several categories. Either the performance is acceptable is acceptable and has no place in a diving course or it is a questionable practice because it because it appears that there is at least some danger of injury to the diver from oh hang on uh because it appears there's some danger of injury to the diver because it appears that there is at least some danger of injury to the diver from some harassment techniques There is a need to critique the reasons for including harassment in diving courses. If the reasons justify the inclusion of harassment, it seems that it would be a good idea to evolve criteria for harassment. Yeah, I think that's what we've been saying is if if you can get a benefit from it and employ it without increasing the danger level, (laughs) the risk. Doing it to do it is dumb. Right. There's a risk-benefit analysis, yeah. Doing it to show off is dumb. Doing, doing it just to beat up all your students and, and give them a hard time and, and make them fail is actually counterproductive to what the harassment training is supposed to be doing. Right. Right. When do you look at the law of intensity and effect and how you can actually do that and have a positive outcome from it mm-hmm. versus doing it wrong as the instructor and you've just ruined everything that you've set up in the in the previous training exactly you've they start building that wall you know i don't want to i don't want to go there again 
<laughs> we all I did was get the shit kicked out of me. I had no benefit from it. So, yeah, so that's bad the, instruction. Yeah, you, put the wall. You you you, you uh, did a disservice to your student. Mm-hmm. Versus if you've been trained in how to add, you know what we at UTD call the critical skill phase of training mm-hmm. is. No, you're you're doing it to build the confidence, so that they right. come out going, "Yes, I've achieved something." Right. Well, let me ask you this, James. So, you know, we're talking about this subject in uh, as far as learning and building walls versus building rewards or bridges or whatever you want to call it. But a training that builds a wall to to further training or or to continue in scuba diving is stuff that would make the person fail almost purposely, right? Right. And I think that's what the big industry was so afraid of for so many years. That's why they completely went the, the rainbow way. and unicorn way for so long, right? And then some of these smaller agencies started coming up and dir popped up and it, it the the thought was no there there are these laws of learning that we need to incorporate that are going to allow you to actually put out a higher quality diver retain them all and then in the big picture it's also going to address the biggest thing that's been challenging the the diving industry for decades is that turnover rate of of divers getting out of it because they have that underlying fear and lack of confidence that or they think they've they've got it all down and they're like there's nothing more for me to learn i've mastered this and it's boring there's another side of it too right yeah yeah but i I go back to teaching the fundies class in a in the early days especially when it wasn't a class even i mean it became a class because it became the gateway to get into further tech training or cave training. That was what you had to go through so that the tech instructor, cave instructor, didn't have to waste, you know, a week plus and you spend twenty five, three thousand dollars to flop around in the water and learn the basic fundamentals of proper diving. Because that was the case back then. People would sign up for a class. I want this instructor because he's got an incredible reputation. He's magic in the water. You go there. You've never had a fundies. You go there with your advanced card or even uh, another tech agency's, you know, advanced nitrox or whatever the hell. And you get there and the instructor takes one look at you and goes, well, you ain't passing this class. (laughs) There's no way, but we'll work right, on the fundamentals. Good. We'll yeah, you, you just pay yeah, you just paid me three thousand yeah. dollars for a buoyancy class, basically, because that's to what we have to do. Propel yourself through the water and gas share, and you know all the fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the stuff we need first. Yeah. Right. So when they made it a class, though, now you have a pass fail, and people come into the class, and they've never been introduced to what real proper buoyancy looks like, what proper trim looks like, what a, a good propulsion method is and even the situational awareness that we require in a tech or a cave class so when you get that the only purpose of getting a pass in that class is so you can go into further training right and you as an instructor james for the these classes would you ever put your name on a pass and know that that person is going to go into that class that further training class and not make it no, that's no, like you, 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 yeah, like the the pass for me is saying 
you're going to breeze through the next level. Yeah. I mean, you might you might struggle struggle with a little bit of the the new curriculum you get, but right. But you're not going to have any problem with the underwater skills. The that's, basics. What this, that's what the essentials <laughs> is taking care of. Like, exactly. The essentials is taking care of. You will never again in your diving life struggle with the underwater mechanics of any level of diving you want to do. You might get to a level where you're just not smart enough to, to know, yeah. you know, that type <laughs> Deco of planning. Or, yeah, or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that I can't help you with. But the underwater skills part, You'll never have a problem with it again. And that's that's exactly my point. So when people would come in, especially in those early days, it was a Friday night, all day Saturday, and you know seven-tenths of, of Sunday. There's no way you can pass a class like that in that time period unless you've had prior experience with it, prior exposure, because we were able to pass you know a, a small amount of students that had already been exposed to this this way of diving so they actually had a, a leg up but the most of the, you know the vast majority of people coming in struggled like hell because it's all new stuff and you cannot master it in two days three days two to three days whatever you can't it's just not possible so you, you put the instructor in kind of a difficult place i can't pass them and they now feel like they failed at something, so the wall goes up. I, I'm glad it is the way it is now, which it's it's stretched out. There's a large period of time in between the first day and the last day, and they actually get to go attempt to master the skills that are introduced to them in the class. Yeah, because the the, the first go at this is so mind blowing, even still in 2021 for for divers coming in even divers that are coming in with a pretty high level certification already from the mainstream industry yeah. basically it's be yeah. yeah it's because a lot of the classes are structured in a way that regardless of what happens you're getting the card at at the end of the the two days right and the the focus has always been from most of the the training out there is you're going to pay me for this class i'm going to show you all these new skills that you need to do mm-hmm. at the end i'm going to give you the card and hopefully you know over the next <laughs> couple of months you, you kind of clean up all that you clean up all that other tedious stuff mm. but nobody does cuz they already got the card and the which is what you need to take the next class so they just take the next class and that's why people are still coming to me for the essentials with training way beyond what what i'm teaching them the same thing an open water diver learns buoyancy and and how to kick right (laughs) but they at some point they realize i'm going through these motions i've got all these certifications but i i'm struggling with all this basic early stuff right and that's the way like that's what this training has always done is it went the other way it's like we need to build the foundation it's a pyramid man it's a pyramid yeah you got to build that foundation good so that when you do add the next level stuff, that's all you got to learn is the, is the next level stuff. That's exactly right. I mean, it's uh, it always amazes me. People come in; they're instructors. I mean, we used to get full blown trimix instructors in our classes, and they've been diving for thirty years. Could not share gas and hold a stop. Could not clear a mask without falling to the bottom. And you can't do that when you're at two hundred feet. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, you met you mentioned a, a minute ago about. 
um, dangos. When you're doing a class like the essentials or the fundamentals, it's you can't expect to come in cold and be able to master those skills at the end of one weekend. It's just there's too much information. It's too different from what you've been doing to be able to get even close to mastering. Yeah, there's too much new stuff. It it takes your mind uh, some time. To, you know, we always talk about doing, you know, we're back to Zen, doing without doing. What that actually means is you're not having to think to do it. It flows through you. It just happens. There's no overt thought energy going to it. So you can focus with you. You know, you can have that awareness of the whole picture while you're neutrally buoyant and kicking with a beautiful propulsion technique, whatever one you're using. Yeah, and the mask essentially clears itself. The mask clears itself, it, to quote. In the, in the flow of you just continuing your dive. James Suzuki. The, <laughs> <laughs> the mask clears itself. Well, like, because to, to think that, like, you're going to learn this new and you're going to have it mastered by the end of the weekend is, again, I think I said it earlier, a disservice to the word mastery. Oh, it is. It is. It's actually kind of... You know, it, and they're not difficult sc- skills. They are difficult skills to do and have awareness of That's the whole the thing. Problem. It's not the skill, right? It, it's all that other stuff right. that's going on while the skill needs to take place. That's what you're really learning in something like The Essentials. It's Because before that, most of these people, they didn't even realize that they weren't paying attention to all this other stuff because <laughs> right? they were focused on the skill. Well, he, because because they're so used to knocking out 24 skills and they get a card, mm-hmm. they don't understand what mastery is. And George Leonard, from that book I was talking about earlier, at the very beginning of his chapter one, he's which is what is mastery, he says, it resists definition, yet can be instantly recognized. It comes in many varieties, yet follows certain unchanging laws. It brings rich rewards, yet is not really a goal or a destination, but rather a process, A a journey. We call this journey mastery. Fucking A, mate. Yeah, mighty. And that's what you and I, I think, for 200 and some odd shows have been talking about is when you make it a process, the Mm -hmm. reward is so much greater. Mm -hmm. If it's do it three times to get my card, you don't have any appreciation for what you and I really Mm -hmm. see in in what what it is. Right. And and you also are, are robbing yourself of that confidence that you could have. You know, ask any open water, advanced open anybody going through the mainstream system, how often do you go practice? I can promise you, they would look at you like practice. Practice? I just go diving, man. I'm certified already. That is one of the biggest things that are preached in these courses is this is the class. This isn't really your learning as far as mastery goes. You're going to get that on your own. I'm going to introduce you to these skills. I'm going to evaluate you. I'm going to tell you what you need to work on. And I'm going to send you out. Now you have to it's put the time you. in. Yeah, you have to work. So you go out practicing. And I guess that's what bothers me so much is you can, you know. Anything else. At, like practice. you and I can be, you know, we can be seen as a, a hard instructor when, when you present it that way because the student is so conditioned to I show up for the weekend 
I try my best and <laughs> I, I do get my, my card. Tricks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get my card. Yeah. This is generally the first time, you know, the instructor shakes your hand and says, You got work to do. You did a lot. <laughs> you 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 mm. you did great. I, we can already see the improvement. We've already talked about and I've shown you the the new plateau you're on, but you're still not ready. It's it's the first time they're they're ever told something like that. Right. Now go out and practice. Get yourself a GoPro, little tripod if you have to. Get a, a small group together. And, you know, the, the, there's a lot of other extra benefits of that, you know, side benefits from you get that community developed. You guys, everybody starts improving as a whole. And you yes. also learn how to critique each other, which is a part of the learning process. You're looking at your buddy, seeing where he's having his shortcomings. That registers in your brain when you're diving and you're performing in front of the camera or your partners uh, when you're doing your practice sessions yeah and and not to mention you know having the the community like you mentioned and the buddies in there to help keep you on track Mm -hmm. and not get bored with it not get tired of it to keep things going exactly and that's a that's a hard thing to practice too that that awareness of what's going on all the time underwater i i've seen i mean even this past week I've gone diving with a couple of different people that I normally don't dive with but you know to look at them in the water not horrible some of them are great looking in the water uh some of them need a little work but they're not horrible by any means not terrible but they all have this one common thing where they're looking at the bottom all the time and when I'm diving with them as a former instructor <laughs> that was always my opportunity to show you you're not paying attention. When you, your head is staring at the bottom for like 30 seconds, the world can go to shit in 30 seconds. Keep your head up looking. Yes. <laughs> you know, you don't even know where your partner is anymore. You, you don't know a lot when you're just staring yeah, yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, you, you, you can never, in my opinion, make the assumption that everything's just going as planned. Right. As soon as, as, soon as you make that, that assumption, you've set yourself up for the problem. Right. Your, your awareness ha- can't be focused like that. Your head has to be up. Even I look at like last week when we were out at Lake Huron uh, up there doing that little yeah, yeah. search for that boat. So I had to, you know, I ran that, my line out to the little anchor point and back to the, to the shipwreck. And I had to cut it because they wanted to leave the line in. They wanted a permanent line to, uh, to help them find the wreck in the mooring system. Anyway, I have dry gloves on. I cut it and you're there with me. You're across from me, but I didn't cut it and keep my head focused on tying that knot with my dry gloves. I kept looking up at James, looking down at the knot for a few seconds, looking up at James. When I'm doing that stuff, that's a conscious effort of things I learned in the fundamentals class or learned from, from Andrew and, and a bunch of other incredible instructors is, yeah, you, you have to do things, but you also have to remain constantly aware of your team environment and equipment, right? Yeah, and as a and as a good teammate, I made that easy for you because I, I wasn't off to your side or behind you or, or like I was right in front of you, so I was almost like in your line of sight as you're trying to do the work that you're doing. That's that's right. That's what you're trying to hone, and that's what the long term making mastery a process gives you in the end. Yeah, and another way to do that is with our lights, right? You well, it was so bright there, you really couldn't see our lights, but. Normally, you'd have, you'd have shined your light on my... So I know you're there. 
I don't have to keep looking at you. I can just do tie my knot, which takes, you know, a little yeah, more the, than the, uh, I mean, 30 the, the seconds second, when you got dry gloves yeah. on and you're using string, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. In like 42 degree water. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, I mean, this underwater, the second that you just assume that. Oh, he'll tie that, and then we'll be right along our way. <laughs> so you start meandering that way. Yeah. It's over, man. Yes. It's, it's something's going to happen. You're going to get out of sight. Uh, the The knot is not going to get tied right. It's going to get tied around your glove. You're going to be fumbling and fighting. James, when you're doing it right, the the knot ties itself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? It doesn't say that. Where, where have we gone on this? I thought we were getting to this harassment <laughs> exactly. article. Let's get back to harassment. Sorry. It always goes to, to teaching. It always goes to teaching because harassment is a teaching tool. And the, again, the I don't like the term harassment. Uh, I, I think it's a misnomer. It's just like the advanced class. You're not harassing them so much as you're challenging them. Challenging. I like that. Yeah. So, yo, so Brando, interestingly enough, in... In that Leonard book again, um, although we're leaving the, the article that I was right wanting to do, uh, now I'm like stuck on this, this book stuff because it, <laughs> it, all like all the stuff keeps like popping into my head, and I just remember it's all intertwined. Oh yeah, James. he used to talk. He would talk about this uh, like the dabbler. So he's got this chapter talking about like you know, hey everybody, you know everybody wants to aspire to being, you know, a, a master or whatever that they do, or they think they're a master at what they do. But, you know, so often, you know, when you find the, the path is a little rockier than planned, mm-hmm. you end up being one of these three stereotypes. The first one he talks about is the dabbler who approaches each new sport or career opportunity or relationship with enormous enthusiasm. (laughs) He or she loves the rituals getting uh, started with spiffy new equipment or the lingo or the shine of the The newness. Hey, you ever meet any, you ever meet anybody like this? Any dabblers? Actually, I think I'm the, uh, (laughs) I look at us, how long we've been doing this. Right. And I look at all the little uh, groups have started up and they've, They've lasted, you know, seven, ten years sometimes, and then they fall away. You know, I I get it. Life gets in the way. You have kids. Um, that changes a big, big part of diving, right? So I saw those people drop away. But it, I guess what I'm getting at is the vast majority are dabblers that, that end up, you know, pursuing it for a while, and then they fall away. It's tough to find those that can... That are ready for a lifetime commitment of it. Or, well, yeah, I mean yeah. that is most divers. I would yes. say right there is they they get into it, they get that shiny new card. Oh, it's cool. Uh, they get invited to the next level class, they buy and gear. they keep they buy gear. That's all cool, and they keep going and going and going and going until they hit that first drop of reality hits them. Like, oh, I'm I'm not the Superman that. I thought I was, or or I actually couldn't do something that I've got a card that says that I can do something. I I lack the actual ability, and they have a hard time wanting to face making that climb back up to where that peak was. Right? They realize, oh shit, I'm gonna have to put in a lot of work to to get up to where I really thought I was. 
uh, you know what? I've I've got a logbook. I've already got the T-shirt of that wreck I wanted to dive anyways. I'm going to move on to something else. So Leonard says that the dabbler might think of himself as an adventurer or a connoisseur of novelty, but he's probably closer to what Carl Jung calls the pure eternalist or the eternal kid. Yeah. I hesitate to even call like the people we were describing as the dabblers because usually the dabblers, they go like full bore for just months. Well, here you go. So the next one's called the obsessive. He says that the obsessive is a bottom line type person, not one to settle for second best. He or she knows results are what count and it doesn't matter how you get them just so you get to them fast. He wants to get the stroke just right during the very first lesson. He stays after class talking to the instructor. He asks what books and tapes he can buy to help make him progress faster. He leans toward the listener when he talks. His energy's up front when he walks. Obsessed. That's another, like a big type of divers especially coming into what we do you know that they, they, they see oh, yeah. that other they see that other level and the, they want it damn it i want that and there's nothing inherently wrong with that as a matter of fact that there's a lot of positive attributes right there like like even the dabbler there's positive attributes i i yeah well absolutely yeah, has, yeah. hesitate to criticize them for their zeal and their enthusiasm and passion for it i guess it has to come from the right place too though yeah, and I think it's coming because he, like, right away... Is it coming from ego, or is it coming from... Well, yes. Well, right away, he's getting positive feedback, right? Because he's obsessing, because yes. he's putting in so much. So he gets stroked a little. You're doing great. And, like, you and I have, you know, said this to, to people before, too, is, okay, you got to slow down a little bit and let it all mellow out, mm-hmm. right? Just just working so hard at it right away. You can burn yourself out. <laughs> you're going to have the burnout, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get to that plateau. And, and and we have that with all activities we do, or any endeavors, anything where you have to become skilled at it or become good at it. You reach plateaus, right? Haven't you found that with your diving? Yes. So he reaches that first plateau. He thinks he's got it. And, well, the, the, the issue with the plateau is that in the beginning – they're high elevation. Right. The slope is real high. Yeah. You're there for a short period of time. It's another big climb. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm just, I'm doing great. But the better you get, the plateaus are shorter and longer. Right. And you're get on that, that plateau for a longer time before you have that next feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. And sometimes you feel like you're on a plateau because the increase in, in learning or mastery or increase in skill level is, is so minute at that point. They're so subtle. They're just nuanced. Yeah. You don't have that big explosive dopamine rush from, from the accomplishment anymore. So you have to be prepared. The better you get, the, the, the better you have to be prepared for each improvement not being as dramatic right it's it's very hard to notice uh, especially over the short short time you might notice the change if you reflect back and that's probably a good reason to every once in a while stop and look look back at yourself and see where you are and where you came from and and then you can see there there's been improvements and a lot of them are are even they're subconscious or unconscious or they're not even 
you know, explainable with words in how you do your, how you dive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even really a plateau. And I guess if you looked at a plateau close enough, it's still going, it's still moving up a little bit, right? If you're continuing to try. Well, yeah. If you're continuing to try, I, right. I think that's the issue is, and that's where he leads us to the third one, which he calls the hacker. After sort of getting the hang of a thing, he or she is willing to stay on the plateau indefinitely. Oh, the monkey. Right. Well, in a way, right? It's like, well, I'm an instructor. Clearly, I know everything, Brandon. I don't need to practice, and I don't need to get any more education. Right. Yeah, learn. Look at my coat. Learn beyond. (laughs) Look at my jacket. I I did my open water advanced rescue dive master and instructor in 1987. Clearly, I learned everything then. I, I don't know if you're aware or not. <laughs> I'm certified for life, and I'm still teaching. So, and he, he goes on talking about how you know you're not necessarily one of these three. Everybody's got you know bits and pieces of of each. You may have a right. You know, when you're learning something, you may have a overwhelming you know, cl- re- close relationship to one of the three, but everybody's got a little bit. And, and then the book's pretty awesome. And I, I really thank Jeff for uh, sending this to me. And, and, and we talked about a little bit, you know, when I did their podcast, the UTD podcast, we talked about this stuff, talked about this book was kind of the driver for what he was trying to, to talk about, but it was based off of a conversation that you were and I were having a couple of months ago. He said, ah, we got to talk about this. Because uh, then he goes on to talk about, you know, how how does, if you really want to be a master, knowing all this stuff, how do you get on that long journey of, of practice that you, you're going to get something out of it? Yeah, well, how do you? Well, for $22 and available from Amazon <laughs> Books. <laughs> you t- uh, well, a couple of things. I'll tell you. Number one, you got to love the plateau in a little bit. He talks about the joy of regular practice. Yeah, there's definitely a joy to it. There's a reward to it that produces those endorphins and et cetera, et cetera. But seeing progress, I think, is part of that joy. You know, when you don't see progress and you put a lot of time in, it can be frustrating. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. But is that not the true master that that leaves at the end that made it through that plateau? That's the hard part. That's where you're putting in the most important work, right? That's why the dabbler falls off. That's why the hacker falls off. That's why the obsessive falls off because they're not getting that enjoyment again. They're not getting that rush of, of positive feelings of seeing something. That's because that's, that's when you're putting the work in. You're putting the work in, but the benefits, just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean you're not getting better. And that's what I, I meant by right, those plateaus yeah, yeah. is there are a lot of things that are not able to be put in words, not able to be seen on a video, but they're internal and they're subconscious and they are in the way you approach what you're doing. And, and you'll see now you're becoming masterful at it. It's flowing through you. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in the book, he talks about this painter who says, the routine is important to me said a successful painter who works in her studio for four hours, five times a week. When I get started, there's a wonderful sense of well-being. I like to feel myself plodding along. And I specifically choose the word plod, she said. When it's feeling good, I feel this is the essential me. It's the routine itself that feeds me. If I didn't do it, 
I'd be betraying the essential me. Yeah, it becomes a meditation, basically. Yeah, where you're really working on the true you, not just that external you with the fancy new card, mm-hmm. right, that can show off at the pub the level of diver they are. It's working on the real essential you who knows deep within the marrow of your bone, going back to those horses, the hard work that you've put in to accomplish what you've done. Mm -hmm. Have you ever shown off your cards at a pub? I know you say it a lot. I I can't believe you ever showed off a card at a pub. You have, didn't you? I've I've got a patch (laughs) jacket. I don't need to show my cards. I got got it on the jacket. It says right here, rescue diver. (laughs) See the chevron on my sleeve? Look out, baby. Deep diver. Advanced wreck diver. Shark diver? You got a shock diver there, hey, mate? Do you wear your knife? Do you wear your knife strapped on your inside calf into Duh. the bar with that jacket on by chance? Carry a spear gun? Maybe a mask on your forehead? Is, uh, is that a snorkel in your pants, or uh, <laughs> are you just happy to be here? True. Um, after all, he says, learning almost any significant skill involves certain indignities. Your first few dives are likely to be belly flops, and you'll draw the attention of almost everyone at the pool. Are you willing to accept that? If not, forget diving, which is so opposite of like how scuba is presented. Everybody's just taught that no, I'm going to show you. You're going to be successful. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to give you a card. <laughs> exactly. It's the rare person that doesn't, you know, get the shake, handshake right at the first first go of it. Yeah. He says the face you draw in your first art class looks more like Mr. Potato Head than Mona Lisa. Is that a good reason for giving up art? And how about those fluttering ankles the first few times you try ice skating and the impact of the hard, cold ice on the part of your body normally reserved for spankings? Punishment (laughs) of this sort isn't limited to beginners. It happens in the Olympics. If you want to get there, be prepared to take it. The pain, baby. The pain. No pain, no gain, bitches. Right, and there's a realness to that. And and Scuba, for some reason, has tried to whitewash the whole... reality that there is pain in order to get to the gain you have to struggle you have to have a struggle to have a reward it it, it don't just get shit you know (laughs) (laughs) yes otherwise there's no appreciation of the reward agreed you don't appreciate things you don't work for it's just human nature i mean you might have an outward appreciation but you don't truly appreciate inside unless you put struggle time sacrifice you have to make sacrifice. I think that's what it comes down to. You have to make a sacrifice to achieve mastery. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward usually. Isn't that, I mean, we're getting down to just being human. Being a human on this planet, that's just the way it is. You have to have yes. struggle to get reward. You have to go through fire to, to temper your steel. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really, I'm telling you what, Although we're way the hell off topic. Yeah, I know. But we're not really. It's uh, it's all, all, it's this all has been a really fun and uh, really real conversation. And I'm really glad when we were talking about it early on that you brought up that word mastery. Mm-hmm. And it made me just reach over and grab this book real quick. Cause yeah, because we weren't going to go good. down this route. <laughs> 
So we're going to get more to the harassment next week, peeps. Yeah. Uh, I don't think people is, really care about fun. harassment, do they? I think they'd much rather learn about the nuts and bolts of learning something like scuba diving. Now, you can apply this to anything, anything you attempt to do with any level of proficiency. You can apply all of this to it, and I kind of do in my life. I try to anyway, which makes things comp- – becomes more complex, but it allows you to, to strive to be better at it. It's the striving to be better, yeah. Mm. Leonard's has another line I think you like right based on that is he says, many people run not to lose weight – but to loosen the chains of a mechanized culture. Oh. I I knew you'd like that one, right? Not to postpone death, but to save her life. For those runners, the admonitions of critics who warn against the dangers of the sport are moot. They run quite consciously, as informed, consenting adults to exceed their previous limits and to press the edges of the possible. Humans. They are being purely human right there, and that's that's awesome. And that's yes, it's to to savor the glory, right. to to put in the hard work, not because it's going to get you the blue ribbon, but because of what it does to you inside. Right. You can go all super deep into into the Zen part of it. Into the, to the oh, let's Buddhist do it. Let's teaching. do it. Oh fuck no. <laughs> oh, here we go. Hold on, hold on. I gotta go get my. Uh, <laughs> I got to go light some incense, but this is a great topic. This is a, something I think every diver can get something out of, can get something valuable from, is learning a little bit about yourself and how you work as a human. We strive for challenge. That's what we need. When, some, when shit is given to us, we become less human. We lose our zest and zeal for life. Well, I tell you what, let's, um, let's do this, people, because we've been rambling on for Almost two hours. Almost two hours now. Son of a bitch. Although, although knowing what we know now, we're going to edit this, edit this down to a 28-minute show. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a good hour plus. James, I also would yeah. leave, leave it starting out with the harassment and just let yeah. him see how, yes. how the... Uh, yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, the thought trail leads us into this. Because you could have started with anything and we could have got into this. Agreed, agreed. And, and I, think, I think it's really good if we go, let's go next week a little bit further into specifically mastery, and then we'll come back around understanding, because I think it's important that if people understand the long journey and putting in the practice to get to mastery, you can have more appreciation to what we were going to start off by talking about is by adding the challenge beyond just doing the skill. Right, once or twice, and, and doing right. it in a very controlled manner, you know, because <laughs> it's not going to happen in a controlled manner when the shit hits the fan. As a matter of fact, that's the definition no. of shit hits the fan. It's uncontrolled. That's what it means. I mean, is, is not the fact that you have to do an open water dive outside of confined water, is that not the first level of harassment training? Right, because you're changing the environment to a more real environment. So if you really wanted to get down to the the simplest of it, you would say if you don't want any harassment training at all, <laughs> don't do any open water. Stay Just in show pool, them in a baby. pool and give them the card. But everybody realizes that that would be ridiculous. So I guess understanding that, we could say everybody agrees in some level of challenging the student. It's to 
how do we teach the instructors to do that? Right, and they they don't because with a hundred dives, you're not. They're ready. still learning the basics. Exactly, you are not ready to be fucking with somebody. No, you're not. You Absolutely know? not. And and I say fucking with them. That's bad of me to say that. You're not ready to put a student, a new level diver, in a circumstance that may actually, you know, increases the risk for them. Well, you're well, damn right. You're you're greatly increasing the risk, and you as an instructor need to be competent enough you need to know yourself enough of where your own limitations are so that you don't put both of you in the hot seat right and a hundred dives ain't even close a hundred dives of practicing just this very thing with, with somebody who's mentoring you now you're on your way but just yeah you're on the path but yeah agreed yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, uh, there is a there is a level of education where you just right need to learn how to put ink on the paintbrush and touch it to the canvas, and then once you know how to do that, you got to learn to start challenging yourself in the new ways, and that's where you know good instruction really comes. But there, there's a level of both. Agreed. Okay, people, um, we're going to get to some more mastery next week. We're going to talk about the keys to success and long-term fulfillment and how you can truly become fulfilled in your life through the art of scuba diving, thanks to your buddies and mentors at The Great Dive Podcast. <laughs> Sensei James. Ooh, arigato. No, very good. Very good. I love this topic. I, I'm, I'm excited for it. That's good. Yeah, this is fun. I, I think we're going to have a really fun next couple of weeks. And uh, big thanks to Jorge for his wonderful message uh, where he told us that he really loved the last couple of weeks. Well, guess what, buddy? I think these next mm. ones are even higher, are going to be even higher in your particular Hall of Fame list than the last three. Yeah, I think Jorge will really, really like these. And he is definitely missed on the uh, the Zoom meeting. He's uh, They're all great people. Jorge is a standout in great people. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. All right. So cheers to all the Zoom uh, Misfits crew. Uh, and we will see everybody else, all you other listeners, next week. And I won't even say safe diving. We're not going to sign logbooks because this, no, yeah, this is a stage. This bottle, is an ongoing dive. A triple stager. We're, we're going Grab way your back. Grab You're <laughs> not going up yet, Brando. I got my seven foot long hose on my, my dual dup spare airs. I am going all the way in this time. And I have my snorkel. So let's do this. All right, folks. Okay. We'll see you next week. We'll, no, we won't see you next week. We will talk to you next week and you will hear us next week. I am the all-seeing eye of scuba. <laughs> I will see them. <laughs> <laughs>